now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. By the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. Then rang the bells, both loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's a thousand years to Christmas, Mr. Howard. I know who you are. You are the autumn people. Where do you come from? The dust. Where do you go to? The grave. Yes. We are the hungry ones. Your torments call us like dogs in the night. And we do feed. And feed well. To stuff yourselves on other people's nightmares. And butter our plain bread with delicious pain. So, you do understand a little. Welcome to a very special fourth week episode of Two True Freaks. I am Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? My regular partner in crime in the <laughs> podcasting world. Podcasting criminals. And this this is sort of a bittersweet show, because this is this is sort of our show in, in memory of the great Ray Bradbury, who, who died, well, lot, the, you'll be listening to this in July, in the end of July. But it was uh, June 5th he died. He was 91 years old. So, hey, he lived to a ripe old age. Um, um, one of my all-time heroes. And even even right up until he died, he was full of piss and vinegar. Um, he he had a, 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 I'd have to say it was a year and a half ago. He had a press conference that was one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen where he basically got up and basically told humanity to get their shit together. Yep. <laughs> basically said, "Hey, you know, um all the uh, all our advancements are really good. All 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 this stuff is is really nice, but we really have to get the hell off this planet. Um you know, we've we've given up our he, basically what Scott and I have been griping about since yeah. the beginning of this podcast that that America and you know, and since we live in America, there's more of a focus of it. But the world in general has sort of lost track of that that future, that, that, that vision, yeah, that vision of the future as as a wonderful place where we've advanced and where things have gotten better, where we've learned to deal with things better, where we've learned to get along with each other better, and most of all, and as Ray Bradbury was saying, where we started to explore space and and expand our our horizons and we've uh and in the last oh probably 30 years or so that's sort of evaporated there isn't that that feeling and basically his the gist of his uh of what he said was that um basically if humanity wants to truly be immortal if 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 humanity wants to live forever we have to get off our planet because our planet's finite and if we want to be infinite like we do <laughs> then we're going to have to learn 
to go someplace else in the universe. And hey, shouldn't we want to? <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't we be curious what's going on out there? Shouldn't we want to try to find other life forms or even just if they're even on the massively, you know, unlikely proposition that there is another life just to see what other what the rest of our neighborhood looks like, you know, our our more macro neighborhood. So when I saw that and, you know, um, you know, he was 89 years old when or, you know, 90 years old when he gave that speech and. He was still doing doing you know speeches to college students and stuff, and I loved it. He's, you know, I've always pictured him as the sort of all American small town writer and stuff. But that guy could cuss up a storm. Oh yeah, and you know he would he would just get in front of a microphone and speak his mind, and and I love that. It, it's it's so American, you know. It's I mean that's to to me Ray Bradbury is like quintessential american you know more so than cowboys or or apple pie and in 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 nerdland in my nerd heart you know that's that's what i picture the american spirit as you know as as ray bradbury and uh yeah i was uh i knew that he was not in in good health and you know the last couple times i saw him on tv and stuff he was in a wheelchair and his speech was a lot more halting but you know, he had twenty-year, twenty-year-old girls making music videos about how they wanted to fuck him. <laughs> that must have been great. <laughs> Did you ever see the video of the, he actually got to see? They, somebody made a video of him sitting at home watching that video on the, on the computer. And she was a hottie. <laughs> no, and, I didn't see that. Oh uh, well, have you ever heard that song? It's great. It's basically just saying, you know, you know, guys. That's the kind of brain you want if if you want the nerd girls to to like you, you know. If you want to get the interest of nerd girls, start thinking like Ray Bradbury. <laughs> and when I say the interest, I mean getting laid. <laughs> and I like that message. That's not the message that you usually get for that. So, yeah, so we've chosen, you know, it was it was it's sort of a, a tricky thing as to how we would do the, you know, would you, do we do a retrospective of Ray Bradbury? Well, the thing is, Scott, you know, Scott and I, our schedules are so busy and we're getting Star Wars celebration coming up here. You know, I mean, I would have loved to have done. I mean, I, I've I haven't read most of Ray Bradbury's books because he's written. So but I've read a lot of his books and I would have loved to have done a long discussion dissertion on his whole body of work and stuff but it's just not the time to do it justice so well i i thought about that i you know i i gave that a lot of thought is you know especially this introductory piece you know why did we pick the movie that we picked and and that sort of thing and uh I, i'm gonna go about this in in somewhat of a roundabout way but i think it all comes together um in the end here but Strangely enough, my introduction of sorts to to Ray Bradbury um, comes from something that I read when I was how old would we have been in sixth grade? About twelve, twelve, I think thirteen I know years where you're old. Going. Yep, this is yep. And I, I read a book um, when I was. I remember reading it in the sixth grade. And, you know, you guys know by now how notoriously horrible my memory is. But this was a, a, a chapter that 
has always stuck with me all this time, even well before, you know, my my interest, you know, which is now, you know, blown, you know, it's now become a full blown obsession. But well before um, my interest in, in Disney or anything, I remember reading this and it was something that stuck with me. And uh, and when my interest in, in all things Disney truly began, this was something that I, I mentally called back to and was really delighted to, to learn that it really had basis in fact. I just want to read uh, this this excerpt real quick to just to give you an idea of kind of my introduction see i'm i'm a big fan and i know i've mentioned this on past shows i'm a big fan of when my interests and my hobbies you know when they collide and intersect and this is an awesome one because three of them you know all come together here so this is this is the excerpt i want to read it it starts the magic castle was a private club in hollywood and one had to be a member or a member's guest to get in Max Maven had neglected to consider the possibility of the door, that the doorman would refuse to allow Superman entry, and that once refused, Superman would not consider entering by force. The doorman was not accust- unaccustomed to people in capes and odd costumes, and simply did not believe the man uh, was who he claimed to be. For a moment, Superman considered telling the man the contents of his wallet, but he saw a friend inside who turned out to be a member of the club. Ray, Superman called. Ray, do you care to rescue this gentleman from an unforgivable invasion of his privacy? Years ago, when he was 15 years old, Clark Kent had read the Martian Chronicles. Clark was so impressed that Superboy flew off that afternoon to meet Ray Bradbury, the man who had written the book. What Superboy found was a man who had never flown in an airplane, who wrote stories about rocket ships, a Californian who did not know how to drive a car, a man relatively unconcerned with politics who was, at least that day, obsessed with the idea of convincing Walt Disney to run for mayor of Los Angeles. Bradbury had a lifetime pass to Disneyland, where, uh, which was where he and Superboy spent the rest of the day. Superboy had never been there before, and no one there believed he was really Superboy anyway. Children were interested in getting the autograph of Mickey Mouse and adults were confused by his presence since they thought only Walt Disney characters paraded through the streets in costume. Bradbury's wife drove them to the amusement park in Anaheim. Bradbury utterly refused to allow the boy to fly him there, and neither of them had a driver's license. Walt Disney, whom Superboy and Ray Bradbury found in his secret apartment overlooking the main entrance to Disneyland, again refused to run for mayor, but had his chauffeur drive the novelist home. Superboy flew back to the Smallville Public Library and read everything that Bradbury had ever published. Hey, Supes, Bradbury called from his vestibule in the Magic Castle. Is that really you? What do Walt Disney and John C. Fremont have in common? Neither of them ever ran for mayor of Los Angeles, Superman responded. And that was kind of my introduction to... Ray Bradbury. Of course, I knew who he was. Is that from Last Son of Krypton or something? That is from the, the next book. It was from uh, Miracle Monday. Miracle Monday, okay. Yeah, by Elliot S. Megan, one of my absolute favorite books. I never forgot that passage. I don't know why it stuck with me, but just that idea. It makes perfect idea sense. Is, yes, it does. 
And what's really cool is that, you know, of course, Superman is the fictional part of that. But Bradbury and Disney were friends. And oh, yeah. Bradbury really did have a lifetime pass to Disneyland. And there's just so many... I mean, there there is an entire world of a story in that couple of paragraphs. You know, the idea of of Superboy hanging out with Ray Bradbury, of Superboy and Bradbury going off and spending the day at Disneyland together, of being driven there, you know? Of Superboy sitting, you know, That's probably as a how it would have gone in down, the Bradbury yeah. car driving to Disneyland, meeting with Walt, you know? In what really he really did have a secret apartment overlooking the end, you know, that sort of thing. And it just fired my imagination. And it was something that has stuck with me all these years. But Bradbury and, and Disney, as I say, they really were friends in real life. They met in uh, in the 60s in 1960, I think. And Bradbury, they, they basically they they had an instant friendship because it turned out that they were both admirers of each other. You know, Bradbury oh, admired Disney for his course. work, with, you know, with film and with Disneyland, which was, you know, novel in, you know, 1960. It had only been around a few years. And, you know, likewise, Disney admired him for his science fiction work, you know, for his novels and such. So they were instant friends. And, you know, Bradbury not only maintained a, a friendship and a relationship with him, but he actually collaborated on some things, you know, like the 1964 World's Fair, uh, you know, the attractions that Disney built for that and everything. Mm -hmm. And I have some but, stuff during the movie to, to bring in about that. Yeah. Well, the big one for me, though, and, and I know that, uh, you know, what, what really kind of fired this whole episode off, at least in my mind, you know, from my point of view of, of really... I'm not sure which of us pitched this idea to, to do a Bradbury show, but what, what really cemented it for me was, you know, there was an article on our intercompany website at work all about Bradbury. You know, the, the day after he died, there was this quite a lengthy article about it. And, of course, I knew of his friendship with, with Walt, and I knew about his involvement with certain things with the company, but I guess I never realized just how deep that ran. And a lot of what was Epcot when Epcot opened was heavily influenced. Some of it just outright right out of the mind of Bray Bradbury. The, probably the biggest one being, you know, the icon of the park, Spaceship Earth, you know. And the original concept of that, and, and a lot of that survives to this day, even though the, the that attraction has undergone refurbishments and things like that. It, in my opinion, it's kind of a, a, a shadow of its former self, you know, because the newer version's kind of dumbed down from the original. But still, the basic idea and the basic philosophy survives of telling the story of humanity, you know, in a 20-minute in a ride. And basically everything in that presentation comes from Ray Bradbury. You know, that's Bradbury telling our story of where we came from and where we're going. And that's powerful. You know, that's really, really powerful. You know, there's, there's something that, you know, millions of people experience every single year, you know, the, the story of humanity and, and, you know, Bradbury's the one telling the story. I really like that, you know. He, he was heavily involved with that. And 
I like to think it was because, you know, by that point, of course, you know, Walt was dead. And I, I think that it was Bradbury not only realizing what you had talked about before, you know. Uh, our, who else is there? Yeah. Right. But exactly. You know, who else was left? You know, I, I, I almost look at this as probably, you know, he was trying to carry forward his friend's vision. You know, Walt couldn't couldn't speak for himself anymore, you know, and, and, and wasn't there to direct Epcot personally. So Bradbury was going to kind of step in and, and do what he could to keep, you know, keep that vision and keep things on track. I really, I, I like that. There's something I think really, really touching about that. And with Bradbury's passing, I don't think in the entertainment world there's anybody like Ray Bradbury or Disney right now. The only person that's sort of, um, for lack of a better w- f- term, pursuing that agenda that I can think of right now is uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the scientist. Mm-hmm. And he's a scientist, you know, he's a scientist, but he also has a way of, of um, you know, when, when you see him talk or, or you hear him speaking about something, he grabs onto your imagination. You know, he, he makes you excited about going out into space. He, he's excited about it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, and it, and he also understands he's also thinking of mankind not in the course of you know what's happening next year what's in the next election cycle what's this he's thinking of it in the in the macro you know over the course of time what's the future of mankind where are we headed and and all that and He's actually concerned about it you know and at and excited at the same time and there's not enough of that these days at all I agree in my opinion so I think our selection for this commentary monthly Monday might seem a little bit odd because you're probably going to ask yourself alright so Bradbury's the, the creative force behind this selection but what does this have to do with you know his positivity and, and things like that his projection of the future um, maybe not a whole lot on the surface, but at the same rate, there's certain elements of this film that uh, that I think are very much in line with with that. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to get into that well, a little bit over the course of it. Well, this is a very this this of all his stories is a it's 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 not a science fiction story. This is a horror story. Right. This is. A, this is this is a, I, I first heard of this book. I, I was still a Ray Bradbury fan, but I hadn't heard of this book till I read uh, Stephen King's *Dance Macabre*, which mm-hmm. was basically just about you know horror in all in all formats, and uh, that's what got me to read this book. And it was one of the scariest books I had ever read up to that point. And but you know, it's it's very much like you know I I also say we owe a lot. Spielberg owes a lot to Ray Bradbury. Oh yeah, in 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 a lot of ways. And there's that, you know, this movie is about the human spirit, and and it's about the the foibles, the foibles and the strengths of the human spirit, which ultimately goes to the exploration of space and the future of humankind. And it's also a story set in the past, also. Right. So it's not futuristic and it's not science fiction, but. Um, it's also a damn fine movie that's been sort of for, forgotten 
in the yeah. and it really shouldn't have it's it's got quite a pedigree as far as you know we'll get into that as a, as the movie's going on but you know i i also was pretty happy to have because you're the one who came up i don't know if i came up with the idea we had to do something for ray bradbury but you were the one who came up with the idea for this movie i think i i maybe mentioned like doing the illustrated man which is an inferior movie to this by a lot but um yeah i i i just think this is the the perfect ray bradbury movie i know it was ray bradbury's favorite movie of his adaptations of his movies so right so you got that going for it but um yeah, I'm about ready to, to. Yeah, I'd say we go ahead and jump into this. Into Do you want me to? Are you all, uh, all timed on zero I am, zero? Yep, I am at zero zero and ready to roll here. All right, I will give the countdown as I usually do. Okay, on go. Three, two, one, go. So, are we keeping it a mystery, or will will they know by now what the movie is? Have we not even mentioned the name we of the movie? We have not said the name of the movie. It's on the name of the podcast anyway, so they know <laughs> we're watching something wicked this way comes. How many of Ray Bradbury's horror stories were made into uh, into movies? I guess parts of The Illustrated Man were pretty horrific. You see, when, I, when you were saying that your first introduction to Ray Bradbury, I thought for sure you were going to say um, A Sound of Thunder. Which one is that? That's the one with the where the guy goes back in time and steps on the butterfly and alters the you future. Know, it was I've, always I've never read that. It was one of those um it was one of those books that was always in um um you know, English reading classes. You almost never got away right. with, with going to English class without reading a sound of thunder. Was, now is he the one that wrote the <clears throat> short story about the little kid on was it like Neptune or something that gets locked in a closet on the one day like every like was it like yes. 7 years or something it stops yes. raining for like a day and he Martian Chronicles yes Yeah that was good That was really good that's another story that stuck with me all my life cuz it's just heartbreaking Yeah this um the scene of the train here is like, now this movie, I, I, um, I guess I should tell my origin story. I got a good origin story on this. Yeah, go ahead. Now, now, as you see, Ray Bradbury also wrote the screenplay to this. Yes. This one, which, uh, you can tell <laughs> his, the dialogue, everything about it is just like, even the narrator, I thought for sure at the narrator, when I heard the narrator's voice here at the beginning, that it was actually Ray Bradbury's voice. <laughs> it's on Golden Pond. But almost, you know, uh, um, no, anyway, anyway, my origin story. So <laughs> I, read this, I read this. I read this. You old son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, this was when I read this book. I just went nuts. I loved, loved, loved this book, and I thought to myself, when I'm grown up and I'm a filmmaker, this is the movie I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make the movie of this because I had, I could see it in my head, and not, 
you know, two years after that, the movie's coming out, and I was so pissed because I'm like, they're going to (laughs) screw it up. You know, it can't be what I imagined. I love all that's a that's a matte painting there. It's nice, though. It's a beautiful. There's a lot of beautiful matte paintings of the country with and and uh, so when when I remember when this movie came out, I went to see it with my mom and I was very excited and at the same time pissed. And uh, this was one of my famous movie freakouts was during this movie. There were a bunch of kids making noise all through the beginning of it. And I did a slow burn. And my mom's like, just go out and tell somebody in the lobby and stuff. And finally, I got up and like, I paid $5 for this movie. You guys better <laughs> shut your mouths. And, and actually, actually shut them up. And uh, I, I got to say, I wanted to hate this movie because I didn't make it. <laughs> and um, a lot of a lot of it was disappointing to me at the time. But um, now I'm wondering if this guy was really a double amputee or it looks like he's got an arm yeah. stuck in there. These days he would have just been CG'd out, you know. Right, yeah. But uh, um, she's hot. <laughs> you like those prim school marms, don't you? And, and 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 then the main character, he that's that was me as a little kid. If I if uh, although I would have wanted those round glasses, I never could have worn those dark. They should have got glasses. the kid that played Ralphie in a Christmas story cuz this this kid's a little stiff, I think. He he's not a, a ne- the, neither the, the these natural kids, no yeah you know what this you, you know what would have been the thing that would have made these kids great Spielberg at the helm yeah that's the only thing I can think when I was watching this again to prep for this show I was thinking you know if Spielberg directed this movie it would have had just that extra layer of awesomeness there's a lot it. of it though that does feel very Spielbergian oh, sure it's I, it's mostly the the stilted acting by the kids that that spoils that. that's yeah that that spoils that Spielbergian illusion but well, yeah Spielberg's gifted at directing kids too so you know but, but there, um there's a lot of this here that I I wonder you know what influence if any you know his his relationship with with Disney you know Disney the man uh might have had because this is very reminiscent of like Main Street and you know Walt's hometown Marceline which you know heavily influenced Walt's design of of Disney and Main Street USA or you know Disneyland rather you know Main Street USA that sort of thing you know, just this, you know, this very, like, Norman Rockwellian, mm-hmm. you know, small-town America, turn-of-the-century type of thing. You know, there's definitely that whole vibe and that whole feel to this. I really like that. Well, I, I um, in my garage sale travels, it's really funny. It was a big coincidence, and I forgot I told you this before the show, but I'll, <laughs> seeing as how we did it, you know, nobody's going to hear that. Um, I was at a garage sale, and I got a old fantastic films magazine that had an article about this movie it was about to come out what's on had, the cover of that issue uh return of the jedi it uh, was it was a big return of the jedi that, that's another reason this movie probably disappeared 
it, 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 oh, it was, yeah. It was very Spielbergy. So there were a lot of Spielbergy sort of movies like this out and Return of the Jedi. Just, you know, the Fantastic Film Magazine, three quarters of it's all Return of the Jedi. And this was a mi- minor one. And the other one was Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Which was nice an long. awesome movie. Oh, it was uh, better than Jedi and this combined. So, Isn't that also the same year that uh, that the right stuff came out, or am I am I imagining? I'm not that? sure. I'm not sure. Because I know that I've got something as well that I I can't remember if it's a star log or what, but I, I remember because this did make like you know not necessarily the cover, but like a cover blurb on some of those magazines. It, it like made a that. cover blurb on the one I've got for yeah. sure. But you know, um, Bradbury was saying. Year he wrote uh, a short story called um, "The Black Ferris," which on the same day that I got this um, Fantastic Films, I was just poking through my comics and I pulled out an old reprint of an EC comic that had an adaption of the Black Ferris in it, uh. which was a sort of truncated version of this story right. that he wrote earlier. And he wrote that I think in the 30s or the 40s, the 40s, and. Um, I um, I can't remember who it was. It was it was a, a pretty famous director wanted him to do a a movie based on it. So he wrote the outline for something Wicked This Way Comes as a movie, and as that stuff goes, it never got made. And he was just sitting around. And he's like, I like this story so much. I'm just gonna write it as a book. And then he wrote it as a book. And still, for years, all through the '60s, '70s, and '80s, there were people who are going to take a, a poke at making this movie and it never happened. He, he would put it off because he wasn't happy with how the illustrated man came out or the TV adaptation of the Mars Chronicles. He wasn't happy with that. So when this finally came together and it was a Disney production with him writing the screenplay, he was on board and he was on the set. And uh, it's funny you were talking about, you know, the sort of Main Street Disney look of the set. He when they built this set and he came to be on the film set, he would walk every night through the through the set just crying because he was so happy that his vision. he, He said it was right out of his mind, you know. Right. And pretty much everything in this movie was like just as as he wanted it, which is funny because. I would have, I would have done a few. There's a there's a lot this movie gets just right. There's a lot that I would. There was one big disappointment when we get to it when I was a kid that we didn't see from the book, in this movie. But I understand, in 1983, it would have been quite a production to pull that off. Well, I understand that that there was a lot of behind the scenes drama going on with yes. this movie because. You know, he very much had his vision that he wanted to do. And there's conflicting stories. It seems like on the one hand, you know, because I, I think a lot of people might look at this and go, wow, this is a very dark movie for a for a Disney movie. But this was at a time people have to remember that, you know, by this point, Walt had been dead for 17 years. And the company struggled for quite a while after his immediate death on as far as what direction to take, you know, with, with 
the studios, you know, with the with the film portion of the of the Disney company, you know, did they want to continue to make the types of movies that Walt had made during his lifetime or did they want to try to do something different? This movie came out right at a time when the company was trying to to kind of mature a bit and and move away and and kind of break that image of being nothing but cartoons and family fair. You know, so they were trying to branch into different territory and that's why they did movies like say Tron and The Black Hole, right? And, you know, uh, The Black Cauldron and some of the other movies that they did during this time that garnered like a PG rating and, and did, you know, deal with more adults uh, themes and darker themes. This is one of the darkest during that time. And it was a purposeful move by the company. And they pulled back a little bit and from the book, too. they pulled back. That was the problem was that they made that commitment. But then when the film started to actually happen suddenly the company and the director seem like they began to pull punches that maybe they they you know once things were actually started to being committed to film that they kind of backpedaled and so that's why you get a movie that is kind of disjointed because it goes in very dark places but then it kind of seems to pull its punches too well, there's, you know, here's, and this is really funny. This is getting me back. I just finished editing our Walking Dead Wednesday, which came out just before this episode. So everybody could go back and listen to you and I argue about, <laughs> you know, the the Walking Dead being adapted straight from the co- comics. Now, is this guy in the barber shop talking, or this guy in the bar here? Is that Floyd the Barber from the Andy Griffith show? He sure looks like Floyd the Barber. Which guy? The guy at the bar? Yeah. The, the guy on the right hand side. Too, of the I um, yeah. see. I, I never watched that show. Before and, we go any further into this, though, I I, I feel remiss and and I haven't mentioned two big factors in why. See, I have literally until last night when I watched the sh- you know this movie again for this show, I probably hadn't seen this movie in over twenty something years. Mm-hmm. Because this was one of those, again, you know, I, I think a lot of our movies, you know, a lot of our commentaries go back to HBO. You know, this is this is definitely one of those HBO movies for me. This is definitely something I discovered because it was on HBO, like, constantly. Mm-hmm. But I remember just watching it over and over. But since those days, you know, pushing 30 years ago... You don't really see I, it on I, TV or anything. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. it really is kind of a loss. As a matter of fact, this is something I meant to mention at the beginning of this. This may be the most obscure thing we've ever done for a commentary. Yeah. I, yeah. It really may be because, I mean, most everything, we, we just got paid a nice compliment the other day that, you know, we're really good with our commentaries on, on you know, picking movies that people are familiar with that they don't feel the need to sit down and watch the movie concurrently with the commentary. This one might be a tougher one in that aspect. This one, they might, this one, they might, I, I, I might want to encourage people to, you know, watch it first before you listen to the commentary. Cause this might not be a lot a movie that people aren't, are familiar with, you know, and listening to us, blah, blah, blah here right now, you're missing a lot of the amazingly. Yeah. And, 
that to get back awesome. to to what I, yeah but, no, that real, that, real quick, that though, scene I, of Mr. Dark throwing the posters in right that is right out of my head from the book that is but, so realized from the book that's exactly how he describes it you know but real quick what I wanted to mention though this this is what I felt remiss about was that we're this far into the movie yet and there's two big influences on on why I really really enjoyed this movie as a kid. One of them being James Horner, who I wasn't terribly familiar with yet at this point, but would become one of my favorite uh, film composers. His soundtrack's really uh, powerful. It reminds me of the Harry Potter soundtrack, actually. Yeah. The, the, it, the John Williams Harry Potter theme. Very much so. And uh, the other big one is um, Jason Robards. Yes. I loved Jason Robards. Well, and- let me tell you something. I can think of a better person to play the father in this than Jason Robards. The only person who would be better was too old. He might was probably dead by this time would be Jimmy Stewart. You know, I mean, how like iconic American actor. Right. And, And he's awesome, too. He's just an awesome actor, but he's he is the perfect embodiment of this character. I don't know if you've ever read the book. No, I haven't. I need to. <clears throat> but oh, the book is beautiful. I mean, it's it's lyrical, you know. It's just it's it's wonderful, but and this is neat because this is right in the era when I discovered Jason Robards because he had a string of movies right within a couple years of each other when I discovered him that are that are all movies that I really hold in high regard because he did uh Raise the Titanic in 19 I think that was 1980 if I'm not mistaken. Then he played uh, Ulysses S. Grant in The Legend of the Lone Ranger. And he, uh, what was the other one? Oh, right after this, the very next year after this, uh, or actually I think it was within a few months of this, was Max Dugan Returns. I love oh, that movie. Oh, God. That I is a great about that movie. movie. Yeah, it's got uh, Matthew Broderick, or a very mm-hmm. young Matthew Broderick in it. That is a great movie. Another one of those HBO movies that they used to run all the time. And uh, yeah, he's just a great, great actor. I I, I really do miss Gravitas. him. Gravitas. He's a classic. Oh, yeah. Know? And uh, <laughs> this guy, this guy's a great character actor, too. Uh, I, I'll get into him further. Now, here's here's one thing that's different from the this is not different from the book. In the book, it was a beautiful lady in the ice. But it wasn't the it wasn't the smoke witch like in this, and the smoke witch in this is played by one of my favorites, Pam Greer, Pam Greer, black yeah. black exploitation actress, and and she's you know in recent years has sort of had a comeback with Quentin Tarantino, and she was in a John Carpenter movie and stuff. But I think this was a very adventuresome casting choice for a Disney to put Pam Greer, who is usually naked and or naked and killing people and. <laughs> in a black exploitation movie, you know, she was a very drive-in, drive-in queen. Now here, the, the, see this music reminds me very much of the Harry Potter yeah. music, especially with the train and everything. This this train coming into town, the way this is described in the book, so burned itself into my head that that was what made me want to make this a new movie. And when I saw this, I was like, they have to get the train right. And this sequence here with the train is right out. I watched this in the movie theater going, God damn, they got it right. This is exactly 
how I saw it, the way the train looks. And come to find out when I was reading the interview with the special effects director of this movie, that that train, a good chunk of that train is computer generated. Really? There were a lot of computer effects in this movie um, by the same team that did Tron. They were using the Tron team and parts of, and he was describing how they basically finished the movie and this is, this is, I don't believe that's uh, computer generated there. There might only be like a quick scene in it, but um, the, um, the special effects team made them go back and shoot sequences so they could doll them up a little more. A lot of the stuff where you see, they did a combination of computer effects and a lot of hand-drawn effects. And a lot of the glowy stuff that you see in this was added afterwards on the behest of the special effects people said, you know, if we put some more stuff in this, it'll give it a more supernatural flair. And right. then they, and they didn't, and uh, then he described this whole sequence that would have been right about now where the train parks and the whole carnival comes up out of the ground. The ground like ripples and the tents come up out of the ground and they did it all on computers and he was describing how you know it was far superior the, for what they did with the movie and, the, and that they added it in. It's not in here. So it may not have actually got added in when he, right. you know, he might have spoke too soon because right here they should have been looking and seeing like the ground ripple and everything i like that it starts with the ferris wheel though you know yeah see how there was sort of a little bit of reflection on the ferris wheel the lights yeah that was the sort of stuff that they were they've been adding were adding to it but that might be that might be a computer shot right there that might be by the the tron people but but uh it sounds like a lot of their sequences actually didn't didn't make it to the film but um it's a shame there's a, you know, I mean, the, this movie does a good job of generally, and and back to the, the Walking Dead thing of like a straight-up adaptation. When I was a kid, I wanted this to be a straight-up adaptation of the book. Now that I think about it, they'd have to do a TV miniseries to do it, you know, all the details. Because all the characters that that get corrupted in here have a lot more you know, backstory and right. story to them. And some See, of it gets a little racier at I points. I'd be all for them doing a, a straight up adaptation miniseries type of thing. Like you were talking about the, the only problem is that I find that I think that this story has been so ripped off and so imitated and so copied by other things that if you went back and did a straight up adaptation of this now, even though it's the original, it may feel like an mm. imitation of something that was actually imitating it, and then it doesn't do well because I think well, you know we we just saw that the, the happen you know in a tremendous uh, example with uh, with John Carter. You know, there's a movie that you know according I haven't seen it, but according to everything I've heard, is actually a really really good movie. But because it's been imitated for a hundred years, you know the the original novel. By the time it finally made it to the big screen, they're like, "What's this it, trite no, there's bullshit?" Nothing, yeah, exactly. There's nothing fresh and, and innovative about it. That it, it's almost like well, an, an historical piece, and that's it. It has no punch resonance. or original. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll I'll put it this way: Ray Bradbury is a hell of a lot better writer 
than not to not to say anything bad about Edgar Rice Burroughs, but you know, he was a pulp writer. Right. This 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 is the stuff of, you know, this is the stuff of like in 150 years from now, this will be like Shakespeare, you know. It'll this will still be studied and and you know, the way the words fit together and the the the, the imagery in it. And if that were to be captured, I mean, there's just a, this is just a seething broth of I mean, you've the you've got this character here, Jason Robard's character, who's, you know, I mean, you, you they 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 convey it pretty well in the movie. And especially in this scene, he's he's you know, he had his he had his kid late in life, you know, as an old man. And and you see that his wife is considerably younger than him. And so he feels inferior as a father because he can't be the physical right. dad. And there was <clears throat> more tension. You know, they address the tension in the book that, you know, he's like, my son hates me. And, you know, Mr. Dark plays on that and stuff. But you don't see it as much in the movie because they don't have time right. to in the book. You know, you have more time to and, and a kid that age is a lot less, you know, um, lot less likely to worry about stepping on someone's feelings or know that so so there was more of that uh, to to it and in this like Jason Robards is such a strong and he's such a you know I mean come on who wouldn't want Jason Robards what nerd doesn't want Jason Robards as your librarian dad you know <laughs> and you've got the whole story of you know where um um the the guy who pulled him out of the water was um his friend Jim's dad who was a you know who was a wastrel right. and a and a and a drunkard and and left town well in the interview with Ray Bradbury when he wrote this story um the two kids are basically like you know the 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 dark side and the light side of Ray Bradbury they're him and so you know Jason Robards the 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 dark side of him was was Jim's dad and so it's a lot about how it's a lot about which is a really dark theme for Disney the integration of your good and evil side right it's not about it's not about dispelling the evil side of you it's about learning to live with it it's about learning to accept it and integrate it into a whole so so basically it's about growing up in a lot of ways you know it's about going for these kids go from simple black and white good and evil to having to you know there's a lot more to um jim being drawn towards the circus in the book you know there's a lot more to jim wanting to grow up faster than his friend and and actually wanting to be part of the evil circus, knowing right. that it's an evil circus and still wanting to go. And that's almost the impetus that pulls, you know, the, the, the good side of him into it more towards adult adulthood. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it's, it's really, you know, it's just this, this is brimming with the brimming with Freudian, psychology and and you know and all about people's weaknesses and it, it's it's just they they managed to get pretty much a lot of the elements in it you know like that here we get the the 
the House of Mirrors. And I like how the kids are always, you always see the kids observing and, and seeing what's going on. I'm getting sucked up into it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that shot. Uh huh. Some of the uh, effects are uh, are looking a little dated, though. Oh sure, optical, lots of optical printer stuff, but I don't mind it. You know, there's it's, it's one late like in the painting. movie. I'll, I'll point it out when we get there. But there's an effect late in the movie that when it starts out, I was like, oh god, that looks really dated and cheesy. And then all of a sudden it morphs into a completely awesome effect. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, that was great. But yeah, it, it starts looking really strange. Yeah, it's a very painterly-like movie, you know. It's... Yeah. I do like the look of it, though. Well, I like that. This was the, the element of the story that I liked the most was he really played on a fear that I think a lot of people may have and don't even consciously realize that they do this, this fear of, you know, the, the, the carnival that comes to town once a year, you know, the County fair or whatever. And the carnies. That, yeah. Yeah. The carnies. And you know, the, the, they're kind of, you know, mysterious, sometimes unsavory looking people you know and they play and, on your baser instincts they're right. there to cash in on your base basest instincts right and the he really dancing played, girls. yeah he really played with that uh with that idea and and really brought out a dark side to it i like that now you see that the smoke witch here is a big departure from the book in the in the book, she wasn't a beautiful lady. Sometimes you would see her as a beautiful lady, but most of the time she was an old crone with her eyes and her mouth. I, who, I actually no, I think her mouth guy? was. I don't know. I've seen him in a bunch of movies though. Yeah, he looked familiar. This guy's one of the most annoying characters <laughs> ever. But um. But the smoke witch was really creepy. I can't remember from I don't think her mouth was sewn shut, but her her eyes were sewn shut, so she was blind, and she like sniffed things and she could send her her spiders and her smoke out to sense stuff. And there's a scene later on in here that was one of the most incredible scenes in the book. That they that they completely changed for the movie. And they did make it into a powerful scene, but boy, if they would have pulled off what was in the book, it would have been fantastic. And once again, the special effects would have been very pricey for it. It would have been a pricey scene in to pull off in here, but I would have loved to have seen it. And it also would have depended on a different smoke witch, too, than, than Pam Greer. I am happy to see Pam Greer, though, but I would have preferred crony lady she ends up in crone mode but it's, it's <laughs> not mode. the same crone mode but I, see notice he's just like hey naked lady. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i feel some puberty coming on <laughs> that creepy midget just watching him uh, this scene in the book is also very this is one of Ray Bradbury's more adult novels too, and and you know the, it it got a little spicier in this part. Not flat out spicy. Ray Bradbury would never go into a real sex scene, 
but it, it was uh I noticed the music is a it sounds a whole lot like uh Star Trek Venus <laughs> yeah dancing music there in uh in the cage yeah you kind of expect Kirk Kirk and uh Scotty and McCoy to be all sort of sitting at a table <laughs> just like yeah they could be green too you know yeah bring on them green slave women exactly it does. That music sounds a whole lot like that scene. They never had dancing girls in the traveling carnival. That that he, you know what he looks like. He looks like the comedian Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> is what he looks like. But it's obviously <laughs> not him. It could be his dad. <laughs> yeah, he could be in the. He could be Mr. Chris Eddy in the remake. See, I think in the book he was turning into like a satyr, you know, with the with the hairy legs and the hooves uh, and everything okay. and. Gratuitous midget. Ten years? Jeez, that'd be 18. You'd think they only need like four or five years before they could come back. <laughs> that guy's creepy. Yeah, he is. Everybody's creepy. The midgets are creepy. This guy's creepy. Everybody's creepy in this movie. It's a cre yeah, well, come on. It's the wicked this way comes circus. They can't be anything, you know. None of them can be. You don't get enough time. You know, this movie is, and, you know, these days this movie would probably be, like, over two hours long. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, it definitely and feels overly condensed. That, they that had is to, one they of my criticisms really of it. it. Yeah. They managed to get it to get it all in. There's just little details about uh, the lighting and the filming of it that's still nice, but it lacks. The director's a good director. He's not a great director, and it just makes me think if they had a Spielberg or like Zemeckis or something behind this, just that that added added touch. And this scene, this scene is right out of the book too. The 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 way he describes how they're picked up by the back of their jackets and put down is it just play. He is awesome. Yes, Mr. Well, Dark. Jonathan Price, yeah, is a great actor. This is one of the the aspects of this that that. He's I, got a weird I, eye. Yeah. Well, he's One got a strange delivery, a... too. He's got a kind of yes. a quaver to his voice when he talks, like he's nervous or something. I like I, that. I, I, it almost, it's nervous, but it makes, it, it's almost like a suppressed rage, almost. Like, right. You know, a, a suppressed anger constantly. And that's, that's not in the, in the book there were you know it was he was seeing dancing ladies and mountains and you know like a whole vista but for the sake of the movie that was pretty creepy the crawly tattoo plus back in these days not a lot of people had t tattoos were a lot creepier than they are now <laughs> nowadays you just have a million hipsters going dude i want that tattoo I love it so much. See, I think uh, I think this guy deserves to make, you know, every once in a while those lists come out of like, you know, best movie villains and stuff heavies. like that. And I wonder if he ever makes any of the lists because he deserves no, to. He deserves to. But this movie just isn't on the radar to, you know, it, it didn't get enough. 
if if more kids had gone to see it and been scared by it when when it came out this music i noticed when watching this yesterday that music right there when the sun is setting now you know james horner often gets accused of uh, of recycling his stuff which he does that music right there it's not note for note but it is heavily recycled in star trek 3 when the sun sets on the genesis planet oh so he's got some sunset music in yeah. his itinerary yeah well you know uh, it's not a criticism i just I, I couldn't fail to note it when i was watching mm -hmm. this yesterday mm -hmm. i was like hey that's the star trek 3 sunset music you know i love this carousel it's really cool looking yeah I love the music. I need to take a couple of spins backwards on this thing. I don't know if I would. I would. I would rather arrest myself like right at the age I am now. I think. <laughs> to some extent, if I could maybe like, just get my knees mixed up or something. I don't know if I'd want to be younger. Ah, what am I talking about? Like being twenty-five would go be back, nice. Go back like five or six years would be good for me. It's a nice little psychedelic optical printing job. Yeah. It it pretty much, it pretty much and and uh, that 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 effect could be pretty cheesy, but with the music, and with that kind of clicky grindy sound, right? It's really nice. I think it works nicely. I really do. You see, I think I didn't enjoy this movie as much with the combination of I was jealous that I didn't get to make it and the people making noise during the movie. Sort of. And I just, I don't know why I haven't watched it since. I have to read the book again is what I got to do. This kid is creepy. Oh, yeah, he is. He's a total redheaded stepchild that you want to. He's slap. like a living. He's like a living Chucky doll or something. Yes, yes, he's very Chucky. But I like how you get a little look into their behind the scenes, you know. All right, buddy. <laughs> go. Uh, go nothing. Uh, nothing personal with uh, with Jonathan Price there, but I think that that this would work so much better his performance as dark would work so much better if he had done this movie and then just completely disappeared off the radar because every time i see him in something now you know because he was uh oh what's her name i can't remember the character's name but the 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 female love interest in the pirate movies he was her father in those and I see him in that, and it just it makes me kind of sad. I'm like, oh, that's Mr. Dark. I don't want to see Mr. Dark as a nice old man. I want to see him as an evil bastard trying yeah. to kill people and stuff, you know, and suck out their souls or whatever, you know. I don't I don't want to see him as the as grandpa, you know. You know, for a <laughs> while he was shilling. What was it, Jaguars or something on TV? What was he? What was he the spokesman for there for oh, a while? Geez, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, remember. it was some famous set of commercials where he was the spokesman for a while, and I was like, "No, that's Mr. Dark. I don't want to see him selling cars." Because he is, he's he's great, man. Oh yeah, this movie is full of of you know with and and when he and Robards share a scene, boy oh boy, oh yeah, literally the, the sparks, sparks fly. fly. Yeah. Yes, literally. And uh, 
this scene in the book was is terrifying you know where and and it's something you you also don't get in this at all it's like in the, the time that we went to Mr. Kennahan's house <laughs> I remember that um um I forgot where I was where I was <laughs> I'm sorry this. I didn't mean to That's okay it. I'm just, I was just remembering, it just brought me back to Mr. Kenahan's front porch. But in the book, the kids were already like all up and down that this circus was evil, you know. And they right. were, and and it's funny because now, nowadays in a movie, you know, it would take much more convincing for them to know something was going. And this, they're, they're like, you know, they've got that, that sureness that, that little kids have. And, uh. You know the tension of where, where um, Jim is just like, you know, come on, we're gonna go confront him, and the other kid's like, hell no, man, <laughs> stay stay away from the little kid, the the evil little bad seed. Look at him, he looks just he he he's just like the adult version. They got the body language, the way he sort of slumps against a wall. Mm-hmm. This is just a brilliant, brilliant scene. You know, you think, here we go. What's the worst thing that this kid could do to another little kid? Hit him with a rock? No, get him in trouble. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> Frame him for a crime. You could tell that she that lady actually was beautiful when she was younger. She I'll bet you she looked like uh Jenny Agader from <laughs> Logan's Run when she was, you know, twenty something. <laughs> He's creepy right there. <laughs> I know. They didn't think you're gonna run into Herman Munster in the dark <laughs> day, <did> <laughs> He does too. Lily <laughs> These kids are like everybody's getting seduced, seduced around him. Everybody's creepy in this movie. You got Diane Ladd dancing with Jack Kirby. It's just <laughs> yeah, he's got serial killer written all over him. That guy. <laughs> I uh, I have always thought she was creepy. Did you ever see Carnotaur? <laughs> yes. She was, was the a, bad guy in yeah, that, wasn't she? And she chews the scenery shit, like yes. Yeah, but it's worth it for her performance because she she goes off the rails. When I was working in video, I got a free screener of that piece of shit movie. See, if they made this movie today, he wouldn't smoke cigars. Right. God damn it! How American does that look, though? It's just puffing that stogie right in the kid's face. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Poof, poof. Just blow right out in your son's face. Yeah, I love it. I love it though. That's you know what. That happened for many generations, and those guys who got their dad's stogies blown in their face lived to be 90 years old, too. So, yep. fuck that he, political He, did, he, li stuff. he lived quite a, quite a ripe old age. He died of, uh, I want to say it was it was either throat cancer or lung cancer. But I think that's part oh, of why he had that voice, though. You yeah, know? oh, yeah, the, the, the rich smoker's voice. Yeah. I'm I'm in an experimental stage right now where I don't know you know I'm a you know I've been a smoker for uh, on and off for years and I just quit again 
um, partly to fund <laughs> this trip, but I'm, you know, but I'm on the, 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 um, vapor smoker things. But every time I quit smoking, my singing voice goes to shit. It goes to shit. And you'd think it would be just the opposite. It would be like, you know, now that you're, you quit smoking, your, your vocal cords would come, but it, they lose a quality to it that, that smoking gives to it, you know, and. I don't know if that quality is worth throat cancer down the road (laughs) (laughs) or lung cancer, but did you ever see Max Dugan returns? I did a long time ago. I don't remember much about it except that it was, it was one of those movies where I thought it was going to be a comedy and it was a funny light movie, but it wasn't really like a, like comedy. It was just a very well acted like family drama, if I recall, right? It was like a. I'm not sure how you would describe that movie because it, I mean it, it's it's got comedic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, comedic elements and everything, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure what you would label that because it's not exactly a family movie either. But yeah, that movie is hysterical, man. He's great in it because he's just you know, he he just walks into their lives and just you know he he's like grandpa santa claus or something you know he just he's dying and he doesn't give a shit you know and and so he just he comes into their lives to try to to make amends and and basically just try to grant all their wishes and everything and it it's what it's just a phenomenal movie he i can't think of anybody that could have pulled it off as well as he pulls it off in that movie he's also great if you have you ever seen a boy and his dog he's a long long, yeah a long time ago He's the patriarch of the underground world, and it's and it's sort of a, it's in the post-apocalyptic world, and he's living in the sort of like, evil version of this town. You know, they built their own little all-American hometown with the bandstand and everything, but it's all underground, and all the men are sterile, so they have to kidnap guys from, from up top to fertilize their women, <laughs> and. Uh, and most of the guys up top are are sterile too. So, but he's like the patriarch, and and they live in this like underground, sterile, all-American town where it's like in this, in this, in this time period, it's per- permanently arrested, and it's great. And I believe he's smoking a stogie in that one too. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. He's a little more evil in that one. He's not evil. Per se, but he's a little—he's a little more ruthless in, in that one for sure. Well, he's one of the best elements in *Raise the Titanic*, which I, I will admit is a guilty pleasure. It's—you know—it's really not a very good movie, but it has its moments. But he's good in it. I like the part that he plays in it. He's one of those actors that's just not bad. He's just always going to come with as Jason Robards, you know. <laughs> Right, I, I have a soft spot in him for it because he played Ulysses S. Grant, so it's almost well, that's, like he's related to me. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know that my my two favorite performances uh, of his is uh, is as Grant and as uh, Max Dugan, and they're they're it's weird because they're similar, but they're also like you know they they couldn't be more dissimilar in a lot of ways too, you know, because one is you know the the hard drinking you know the tough as nails and then the other one's just you know happy go lucky kind of yeah grant grant was happy go lucky in a way he was sort of a party guy but grant's a complicated character 
Why the long face, Teach? <laughs> I don't. Her younger version has kind of a horse face there. Maybe it's the dream vision on on her face, but somehow the the blonde doesn't quite see. The blonde has a little look. Looks a little like Jethreen from the Beverly Hillbillies when the guy who played Jethro used to dress up as his cousin. I don't know. She looks like she should be going after the uh, Holy Grail with Indiana Jones. To a me. little bit, yeah. That that. Uh-oh, her, her peepers just uh, blinked out there. Oh, well. I hate when that happens. The Faustian curse. You're young, but you can't look at yourself anymore. The horror. <laughs> That's how they used to punish Helen Keller, you know. They just rearranged the furniture. Rearrange the furniture. Please help me. Not who the hell are you in my house? <laughs> who is this? Right. <laughs> Kids creepy. He looks like the doll from Magic. Oh God. Scene. You remember that movie? Oh, now I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got that. He's got that little blonde, big-headed kid look, like from Monster Squad. <laughs> Something about toe-headed kids that age. Their 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 heads always look too big. <laughs> I like that little wave, like, screw you, I'm out of here. <laughs> it, it almost seems like it's not really him. I, like, when I saw that, it was, like, almost like something trying to fool him into thinking his friend was... Right. Was... See, this this whole sequence here where, you know, he's like, you know, uh, you know, you think you're going to outrun me, This that plays out in the book, but this is, like, several scenes condensed into this into this part you know right for time so it happened so it just happens kind of hurriedly i like the hats and overall look man it's kind of kind of up my alley yeah here's where some of the uh where the um acting gets a little jake lloydian oh yes Jake Lloydian. <laughs> Jack Poor Jake Lloyd. I feel sorry for acting. him. I do too. It wasn't his fault. It was George Lucas's fault. Now, here, when I was watching this originally, I was like, <laughs> what's your name? Simon! <laughs> Finn! Gilder. No, I'm creeped out by the two midget ballerinas in the background. Just right hanging there. out. Just, just hanging, hanging out, staring at each other. That's creepy. And you can tell they're real people because they sort of they they you can see them sort of like, you know, moving a little bit like real. They're all real people. You can see yep. them all, sort of wobbling. But when I saw <laughs> that's King Tut <laughs> from the old Batman show. <laughs> uh, when I saw this and and the, uh, this, I'm like. Could this be the same actor who played Simon Van Gelder? No. So of course I went to uh, Google, to Wikipedia and looked it up. His name is Royal Dano, D-A-N-O. Royal Dano. I know I've seen him in some other movie, but for the life of me, I can't think of what. You know, like you said, he's one of those character actors. Dis Disney connection coming up right here. He was the voice of Lincoln. In the original animatronic I, Lincoln, know, and uh, he was the voice of Lincoln for many years in the Hall of Presidents. Hall of Presidents. You know, and it's he's funny played to say that. he's played Lincoln in a movie too. 
there was when a, you look at him, you can see it. There was a moment watching this yesterday. I meant I'm glad you cleared that up for me because there was a moment when I was watching this movie yesterday that I thought, man, he sounds like an audio animatronic Lincoln, and I guess it really is. So all he, right, well, yeah, I'm proud of myself yeah. that I caught that. Yeah, and and when you look at him, you can see how if you put the beard on him and did up his hair, he could be a very good Lincoln. Oh, yeah, he's got Absolutely. the gaunt the gaunt face and the kind of yeah that and the the neck and every, he could totally be lincoln absolutely no <laughs> neutralizer <laughs> now i want to see him with a big ass silver axe splitting trees and vampires you're in love with the smoke witch <laughs> smoke witch you can't live without her i can't live without her James, help me, James. <laughs> now there's what the smoke witch is supposed to look like. <laughs> there's a creepy midget guy just standing there. He's not doing a thing. He's just standing there. Oh, that freaks me out. Ow. <laughs> hey, good one. <laughs> hey, that's a good trick. Now. We're getting into the see now. See that smoke there? That's all added. She stinks, doesn't it? That's uh, well. Okay. Now he's he's like, go get him, and she's sending out smoke tendrils after him. In the book. Uh-uh. In the book, what she did is she could smell and she could feel things with her fingers, but her eyes were shut. So what she did is she got in a big hot air balloon with a midget. <laughs> And flew over the town like early in the morning. Here's, and this is another, this is just a poorly, uh, it's an obvious day for night shot. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like day for night shots. It works a little bit, but every once in a while you see the sunlight on top of the, the right. on top of things. And it's just not moonlight, you know. But um, she comes after him in a hot air balloon and they've gone to bed and they wake up in the morning and they hear the hot air balloon like you, I don't know if you've ever had a hot air balloon go over your house or something but you know you hear of the flames right and so they look out their window and she's flying over and she's sniffing them out and she's got a bucket full of um um slug slime and she, when she goes over their house and sniffs which house is theirs she puts the slugs uh, X. She leans out of the the hot air balloon and puts an X of slime on their house so they can find it later and come get them. And the the boys like see her and they go, let's go. They go after her. They go. They chase. They're chasing the the hot air balloon through town and like you know climbing up trees and throwing stuff at her and they eventually take her down. And it's just, I could totally see that sequence, like, Spielberg-style. Right. You know, it would have been a mixture of an exciting chase scene and a really creepy... I just love the idea of an old witch flying over with slime. How creative is that, the slopping the slime on top of the roof? And, man, it would have been a really hard sequence to pull off. So they pulled off this whole thing with the smoke and the spiders that we're going to see here. I'm surprised he's not smoking a cigar right here. <laughs> Ashing him on his chest. 
In those days, they thought cigars were good for asthma. Here, <laughs> kid, have a stogie. Stogie and a glass of whole milk before going to bed. <laughs> Stokes the imagination. Are you an angel? <laughs> <laughs> Dad, tell me more about the moons of Yago. I like that that the that the the lightning rod repels is is Taco Bell gas. <laughs> yeah. He's like somebody farted. <laughs> what the hell is that smell? According to Ray Bradbury, he's like these kids were the like most patient kids in the world cuz they had to dump tons of spiders on them for the scene. And he I don't think this it. scene works. I got to be honest with you. I don't think it does either. It's it, now that I watch it, it's it is kind of horrifying in a way, especially if you don't like spiders. But it's not what the scene should have been. It was uh, it's it's an obvious, you know, we got to come up with something that's going to fit in the budget more. And yes, I agree. I don't think it I don't think it works as for one. I don't sort of, you know, there's sort of a risk and then it just stops, you know? So I, it's like, why, why doesn't at least one spider bite him? Although. I'll tell you one thing. Kids are definitely more sophisticated and, and have a, a, a whole different concept of, of horror and scary than, than we ever had. Because I sat down to watch this with Logan and somewhere about the middle of the movie, he conked out completely. But he kept saying to me the same thing over and over. I thought this was a scary movie. I thought this was a scary movie. And I'm thinking, this movie scared the shit out of me when I was your age. What is wrong with you, you know? But he he just, yeah. I guess it was uh, the age or the cheesy effects or something. But, yeah, it didn't, it didn't do anything for him. You'd think Logan's age, this would resonate with him, you know? This is like... Yeah. This is like right along, but well, then again, you know, you've got this, very this, much, uh, 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 you know, the the two boys here. You got very much like a Tom Sawyer Huck Finn thing going on. Yes. and we just watched that not long ago. We watched uh, Tom and Huck, and he really liked that. I mean, we both did that. I mean, that was a really good little movie. So again, yeah, like you said, I thought, uh, I well, thought, it was and, and Mark Twain is pretty much right up there in the pantheon of American art, art, art authors with Ray Bradbury, I think. Absolutely. You know? And, um, yeah, I, I was just going to say maybe because it's a period piece and it resonated more for us because we were closer to the, you know, we could at least look at this and be like, oh, this is our grandparents time period time or whatever. But I don't know if he was watching Huck and Tom. That's even more of a period piece than this is. Right. So I don't know why. Now this, that sound with the music, that rear, rear, that's very much a, uh, a Horner staple. He would use that like ad nauseum in, uh, in Aliens, the mm. James Cameron score. I mean, you could lift this entire piece of music out right here and play <laughs> it for somebody and go, okay, now tell me what movie this is. And it, it sounds like Aliens. Totally sounds like Aliens. Oh, I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, see, it doesn't make sense because if they he sent her to get them and it was all a dream, 
Or did yeah. they dream that he sent her to get him? No, in, in the book, he sent her to get him. <laughs> it wasn't the, their imagination or whatever it was supposed to be. Yeah. Does yeah. not work. Don't quite get that, yeah. It's the the train coming in, this, and the scene in the library are like the iconic scenes in this, and they sort of get them two out, two out of three of them. And this, they they knock the they knock the library scene out of the park. Hey, this is reminds me of Close Encounters. I like how you can see the moon up in the. In the, I swear to God, there, there's Floyd the barber behind him too. I think that's, and I think he's playing the barber in here. So it was sort of a joke on the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> Oh, I like this scene. Yeah. He's prowling like a shark. This was, this was, yes, this was in the, this was, this is almost line for line. This is almost like ripped right out of the pages of the book. This scene is so tense in the book. It's awesome. If there's anything creepier than a midget, it's a midget clown, dude. A midget clown with a deformed head. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Pushing all the creepy buttons. Hello. This is awesome because this is where Jason Robards starts where they dealt when the adult when when he starts getting wise that's when the shit starts hitting the fan oh yeah when and and uh <laughs> I love seeing Mr. Crozetti and his and his bearded lady drag blah <laughs> 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 yeah I don't know what the, the creepiest it's just, it's just like you see the, this parade coming through town. It's like I'm not going to that goddamn circus. I'm gonna get serial killed. She really does look a lot like that girl from uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade, yeah. And I'd be like, what's up with the old bum that they? <laughs> <laughs> I know. These guys, they remind me a lot of the evil circus in um, in the beginning of Batman Returns. You know, the one that uh, that the penguin goes to hang out with and everything. Well, you know, an evil circus is pretty much an evil circus. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is true. <laughs> you've seen one evil circus, you've seen them all. <laughs> right there, she reminds me a lot of, uh, what was her name? Coates, Phyllis Coates from uh, the old Adventures of Superman show. Oh. You know who I mean? I think that was her name, wasn't it? I don't like that midget talking to my mom. <laughs> well, see, there weren't any ATMs back then, so, I mean, what, what other kind of job was a midget going to get, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't come up with dwarf tossing by that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Lucas hadn't started casting Star Wars movies by that time. How come they didn't use midgets for the human cannonball? Any picture I've ever seen of a human cannonball, they're usually some big fat dude. How come it wasn't a midget? Maybe they wanted, maybe there was something about the gag that it was better to be a fat guy with, you know, maybe the fat guy plugged up the, the cannon enough to get a good <laughs> um, head of steam behind him, a good amount of pressure. Mr. Lincoln, what are you doing here? <laughs> we were just thinking of robbing the till. I'm a creepy stranger in this town. Doc? What's up, Doc? <laughs> what I wonder, though, is why the, the, the um, barber guy goes, What do you mean? It sounds like he's talking about your kids. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't, I like that, I like that Robards is, plays his cards like close to the vest oh yeah he instantly sees this guy is up to no good and that he's just like he's sniffing the air out big time i never realized how kind of he, he you know dark is both kind of like suave and debonair and really ratty at the same time because his yeah. hat's like all worn and ratty. i never really realized that before that's cool yeah he's ancient <laughs> That would scare the shit out of me. I don't know about Somebody you. Somebody grabbing your foot? Yeah. Really great. Yeah, you'd think there was some chud after you. <laughs> I love that. I love that, that stores would have just like a flame burning all the time for people to light their smokes on. Well, oh, rub on tattoos. I love those. <laughs> awesome. You can see you can see the wind, the life just being taken right out of him. Yeah. You can see that he's just like completely flustered, but. I wonder what would happen if he just slugged Mr. Dark in the face. <laughs> you know? What would he do? <laughs> I love seeing movies with two great actors sizing each other, yeah. characters sizing each other up. I think uh, during this time, I think he would have made a, a really good Dracula. Robards? No. Or price. Uh, price, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he would have been a phenomenal Dracula. Well, actually, the, the original, like, you know, the original description of Dracula was bearded with right. long hair. So. Right. Yeah, like one of his eyes is just like closed a little more than another. It just, he right. just has 
super psychopath I, eyes. I can totally see those two squaring off again in a Dracula movie with Price as Dracula and uh, Robards as Van Helsing. Van Helsing. I could totally oh. see that, dude. That's and a what, what carnival comes through town with a funeral march? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like the beginning of, uh, oh, shit, what is that movie? Is it Live and Let Die? Where oh, yeah, one yeah. of those. Where, yeah. and, and then it goes into the, it, it starts out like this, and then it goes into the New Orleans jazz. jazz. Yeah, I think that's Live and Let Die. It might be, it's either Live and Let Die or Thunderball. One of the, it's one a of those no, two. it's a more. It's a, uh, it's a Thunderball's a um, is that a, a Connor, Connery isn't one? it? Yeah, Con yeah. I don't know, man. Throw the ball back. And he catches it with his good with his good yep. hand. Yeah, I noticed and that. That's too. where he knows. That's where he's just like, what the hell? Everything is hing What am I smoking? It's <laughs> <laughs> in this shit anyway. <laughs> Somebody's introduced marijuana to America 20 years too soon. See, I, that, I, I always wonder why he tells him to come to the library because he's meeting with Mr. Dark in the library. You'd think he'd want to keep the kids away from Mr. Right. Dark. Right, yeah, that's true. I got to read the book again to see just where, where all the all the differences made man what a nice library that little town has i think that's the same library from back to the future three but I, how the hell do you look up something like that but i was watching that you know because this this angle and everything right here that we're seeing right now when i was watching that again yesterday i was looking at that going damn i have seen that same angle in another movie and the only one that I could think of off the top of my head would be Back to the Future 3, where Doc and Marty go to the library to research who was the Emmett Brown that they found the tombstone for in the cemetery. And I, I think it might be the same one. But again, you know, how, how would you ever find out? You know, I guess maybe it put me on Google somewhere, but I wouldn't I wouldn't know where to start with a search like that. I wouldn't have included this whole part. I, I think this is all unnecessary. The, you know, the, the circus has been through town before and, you know, my well, grandfather I, I, fought I, him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't necessarily it's, need it to be his grandfather. It's too much information, yeah. But I like the idea that, that he's stumbled on the fact that this has been happening for a long, long time, you know, in cycles for, for a long time. You know, yeah, I, that part of it I like, but yeah, I agree with you. It didn't necessarily need to be his his father or grandfather or whatever. This part of the story right here reminds me an awful lot of um, Needful Things, which is probably I would imagine Needful mm. Things is probably informed a lot by something. Oh yeah, yeah. It's almost the same exact story. Yeah, in a lot it's of just... ways. Yeah. Because there's a great moment at the end of that story where the devil tells the sheriff, you know, I'll, I'll be back here. You know, I'll, I basically he says I'll be back this way again in like a hundred and something years, you know, to, to be devil your I think it was his son or grandson or something like that. He tells him flat out the date and time when he's going to come back and do all this shit again. 
Yeah, because he knows I, he'll be dead by then. <laughs> yeah, and when I read that or, or saw the movie or whichever it's in, whichever version of that story it was in, I was instantly taken back to this story. And the thought that this is, you know, this has been a, a cyclic thing. It's it's almost the exact same. It's just with an antique dealer rather than a circus coming to town. I like how he's just there. Yep. He just, he just, he, he actually came in when the doors opened earlier and just manifested there. It was kind of a shame because whenever they showed scenes from this movie, they showed this scene. Yeah. Because this scene is fantastic, but man, I would have, I wouldn't have released this as the one to put on the, like at the movies because it's like. You want to save it for the movie. This is where the two, you got the two great actors really getting to rip it up. What did uh, Siskel and Ebert think of this? Do you remember? I don't remember. I think they liked it. I think they did too, but I don't remember exactly. I don't remember. I'll have to. I'll have to look it up. I don't think it was, it was critically drubbed. I think it was pretty much just like this is a good movie, but it's gonna get you know it's it's. It's, uh, I, I can't really remember how it was. It, it just got so lost in the shuffle of, like, Return of the Jedi. You yeah. Know? How could you compete with that? I remember it getting good reviews, but at the same rate, they were they were reviews of kind of, you know, how we summed the movie up at the beginning, that, you know, it, it, it's a good movie, but it, it, it lacks a real solid bite. You know what I mean? It, it never really bites and... and, and and holds on you know it's more like there's there's little things here or there you know there's there's the creepy factor but it never really fully commits to horror horror yeah exactly which is a shame i mean it's definitely price's performance that that brings it over into that realm of horror, you know? Oh yeah. Cause this... he, he's completely selling, you know, sinister, evil devil man. And it's great. Well, here's, and it's funny because the, the mask was never quite on in this movie, but in the book, the mask is on longer where he could just be, you know, the guy who runs the circus. And in the, this is a scene where he's just like, yeah, I'm the guy who's here to fuck you up. And I yep. always, I always love the when evil takes its mask off, and you know, and right. then the, and then and then you know Jason Robards has to, has to be the man that he never thought he was, you know, and and he's playing every, you know, every um, doubt that that Robards ever had, you know. This is the best scene right here. Yes. Oh, he is... dark goes absolutely manic in this scene, and it's so well acted because you can see him, like you say, you know, he, it, it's barely contained fury. It's it's fury, and at the same time, Robards is is he's he's tempted. It's that that's... right? Yeah, yeah. He yeah he can tell that he's getting through to him, and he just gets more and more. Uh, aggravated with the fact that he can't get him to fully commit. To, to he can't get him. Well, he can't get him to to commit at all. But he, it's there. 
Right. But, you know, I mean, it's it's every page that he's tearing out is physically, you know, when I first saw this movie, I'm like, this guy's supernaturally injuring Jason Robards. But now as an adult and I watch it, no, it's all just it's all just the way he feels seeing it. You know, this guy's tearing it, you know, tearing his life away, basically one page at a time. Right. And his descriptions of him at each age is just pure Ray Bradbury. But all those glowing pages, those were all added by the special effects guys. They were like, you know, we should it's have It's effective. Some. Yes. And it just confirms at, 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 at this point, yes, this guy is supernatural. You know, it's not metaphor. This guy's a... Says you. Yeah, that's. I was thought the same thing as I'm like forty. I'm older than forty. My old old heart. Fuck you, Mister Dark. <laughs> <laughs> My old old heart. Of course, you know. Of course, Robard's character in this does have is like does have an old man's. Right. You know, he's he's Got always been ticker. an old man in the library. Bum ticker. Yeah. Ah. See the 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 all that light was added on afterwards and it's great where it was reflecting off him as he was counting it. Right. And now he's actually certain he's defeated Mr. Dark, but he's also also like on the ground defeated. This is like the most Another thing of the eighties, out of place gore. That's Ow. pretty yeah. See, we learn there that he's evidently he's more powerful than a than a regular being. Because you, know, you said before, you know, what would happen if he just got punched in the face or whatever? I don't think it would do anything to him. No, I just wondered how he would react if you punched him in the right. face in public. You know, yeah, he couldn't do any. He couldn't do his supernatural stuff there out in the open. It would piss him off. But what would he do? He would probably just stand there and be like, you know, have some comeback. But I don't think he. Could, I was just saying, could you get him to like? take a poke at you and <laughs> public, I, I, man what a nice library and the, the whole library thing I'm a sucker for that too because I spent a good chunk of my childhood sitting in the library I totally know it's so funny because the, the, the whole scenario of like your dad being like this all American Ray Bradbury character at a library and, you know, you spent, you know, there was a lot in the book about how he spent more days in the library than playing baseball and stuff. That totally sounded like a bit of heaven to me, you know. Right. That was just like this awesome chi awesome childhood. And that's lost, too. I don't think there's many kids that are like. And libraries are more like community centers these days, you know. They're, they're not this. They're not like even in a small town like in Carthage, the, and it still is. the The library building was this old classical building. Oh yeah. And it was like here's a place where the knowledge is kept, you yep. know, where books are kept. And yeah, that place was like fancy. a like a fort or something. Yeah. Yeah, and it was beautiful. It had high wind, high ceilings, and like this. This is this is an exaggerated small town, beautiful library, but. 
you know, for even little Carthage, they and, and libraries now are sort of like prefab. They still have the books in them, but they have a, a lot. The books aren't the main attraction anymore at a library, you know. And uh, this is it just pushes all my buttons. And, and again, this this whole scene with his hands creeping over the book is or books is right out of the novel. And I hadn't given any thought to the, the old Carthage library in a long, long time. But you're right. That was a great old classical building. Every time I go to Carthage, I go to the library. That's the only place that I go to that I'm just like, ah, it's good to be back. And it's funny. And, and like the first time I went there, I went there with a girlfriend of mine. And the librarian was this girl who was like, really young when I was a when I used to go there but she was a librarian now and she recognized me and she was cute and blonde but I was there with my girlfriend she was like hi Chris you came back to the library and I'm like do I know you I <laughs> and uh, the last time I went there you could tell she's had like three kids and it's just funny but she's still the library there or librarian <laughs> there Get her! <laughs> you, I never would have known this was Pam Greer if I hadn't seen her name in the credits. She's so obscured. I just wonder how she got that role. How they were like, let's get the girl from from Coffee, the black exploitation movie, or Cleopatra. Cleopatra Jones, I think, was the other one. Right. Yeah. Bastard. Now that line gets repeated here again. I think that was the repeat, actually. That was the repeat of it, right? He's, yeah, that's right. He's like, I'm gonna, and it was uh, that was almost like an editing error or something, you know, where they were, you know, I, <laughs> I'm gonna go the, see Krakow's men now. <laughs> it's like the midget town version of of a piece of the action. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> gold finger <laughs> and I like this earlier on when he walked by when they walked by the barber pole he reached out and touched it too he looks Robards looks sort of like that character Cornelius from the old Mr. Rogers show puppet Remember Cornelius? He was like a beaver or something. I did not <laughs> watch that monk. show. It used to creep me out. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mr. Bates's neighborhood. Yeah, Mr. Rogers mm -hmm. always reminded me way, way, way too much of Anthony Perkins as Norm. Oh. Way too much. <laughs> See, mm -hmm. when I was watching, I hadn't seen Psycho when I was Mr. Rogers' age, so it didn't didn't really uh, really bother me as much. There's some boobies on the pillars on the. Yeah, there's boobies the and butts on them. There, man. Didn't notice that before. Just a little treat for the Scott Gardeners in the audience. 
Stop that, you <laughs> midget bastard. <laughs> oh, man. Why, when you're a midget, do you laugh? Why can't you just go, ha, 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 like any normal person? No, ha, 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 ha. The rest of my house is probably like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> All they hear is midget and laughing and... I don't know. He's talking about midgets and laughing. Let's... Whoa. I like the music in this part. It's funny because when his hands split open like that, I thought it was like sort of not real. It was sort of just something they right. imagined. Then you see him walking with the bloody bandage. It's like, that's a really, oh, it's day for night again. I'll bet they <laughs> shot those scenes on the same night and oh, yeah. on the same track, just running in different directions. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I like that. He's just like, ah, God damn it. That's Laura Dern's mother. He can see. Yeah. That's the funny thing is, you know, Laura Dern was in the high budget movie that summer, you know, with, with Jurassic Park, and then her mom gets to make freaking Carnotaur. <laughs> <laughs> There's a message in there somewhere. I'm not yeah. sure what the hell it is, but... <laughs> This scene could have been the House of Mirrors, is, is always a. Uh, um, it reminds me of Batman movies, <laughs> TV. It shows, reminds me so. of the end of The Shadow. Have you ever seen The Shadow with Alec Baldwin? No. It's the same thing. They're in a House of Mirrors. Yeah, there's a there's an Orson Welles movie that ends in a House of Mirrors too. That's a that's, probably like. Oh, the first you know what one. this scene needs? It needs the Scaramanga piano music from. Uh, Man with a golden gun, because there's there's like a house of mirrors in that too. Oh God! Every time I hear the word Scaramanga, it, it brings me back Scaramanga. to tattoo. Mister Scaramanga, Mister Scaramanga. <laughs> I love, I love doing the tattoo voice. It's almost like you almost have to be a. It's almost like a drunk midget, you know, because he had that accent, so it's. He's a scaramanga. <laughs> couldn't couldn't do all the syllables correctly. See, this is a little too convenient, though. Like, let's explain everything that happened. I think we pretty right. much got it, you know? Right. Uh, I think we pretty much uh, understand how it happened. Happens now. All these people got more of a complex story in the book. You know, there right. was a lot more resonance in, in horror because you got to know their characters a lot more before the horrible things happened to them. Now, would they film a scene like this in a in a um, in a house of mirrors by having the camera behind a uh, one of those two-way mirrors? Oh, that... you could you could actually you could do it that way. I think a lot of the times it's just by good placement of the ca good camera angle. 
because you can you can you know you can have a people looking in mirrors you just have to work really hard to figure out where you're gonna see the camera or or not and you know you could have you could have that camera straight in back of them but if you notice all those mirrors are at an angle right none of them are straight on so none of so they probably had several safe places for for uh for the cameras to place it and they could opti optically printed a lot of it too Con the sequel to Conan had a had a scene like that Zardoz had a scene like all this I was really upset when I was a kid for, uh, for the witch being hot. It's creepy. I never noticed that that it was that he's he pulls his son out of the river. That's what's going on there. Yeah. I don't know why I never picked that up till just now. <laughs> now this seems really <laughs> cheesy. I'm a Jedi. <laughs> now watch the beginning of this part right here where he stabs her. This looks so cheesy 80s right here. It's yes. really ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, it becomes awesome. I was watching this going, oh, that's stupid. Right there, oh, that's awesome. Yes, that's, that's great. That's right out of Forbidden Planet mixed with uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Yeah, well, they were talking about when they did the hand-drawn animation that they were trying to get that real Disney feel to it, right. you know? And it does. That ha that has that that layer of extra Disney-ness to it. See, he he went into that all that explanation in the in the funhouse that wasn't needed because you figured it all out, and then the parts where you really need a little bit of a bone thrown to you as far <laughs> as what the hell is the motivation here? You don't get any of it. Uh. Now I guess in the original version of this, they had him. He just got he got the sleeve of his leg stuck on it, and then the special effects guys talked him into. They did like a test shot of him pinned down by the lightning and then the, the director said, okay, we'll reshoot it to do that. And I think that was a good good choice. See, this whole idea has been ripped off, ripped off or used by Stephen King and Peter Straub in the end of a couple, I think in It and um, another one that Peter Straub did where it's like, no, be happy. Come on. <laughs> you know, in the face of the evil, you know, kill him with with kindness. Although he doesn't look like it. Look at me. I'm dancing. Come on, you little bastard. Dance with me. <laughs> you don't look happy, though. <laughs> you look kind of pissed, Dad. <laughs> exactly. He's happy when he's yelling at him. It also reminds me of the end of that uh, Star Trek with the uh, Klingons and Kirk. Where they're like, come on, we're friends and we're happy. 
Whoever he is, he sure talks gloomy. <laughs> hey, yeah, this could be Red Jack. Everybody die. That's a great uh, puppet or whatever the yeah. hell that thing is they're using right there. That's that's great. Now, I what the hell this. are the Shetlands all about? They're the horses when... When it runs, it runs backwards farther than it's supposed to run backwards, and all these horses get... These are all horses that were trapped in it, I guess, and they all get set... Everything's getting set free. Okay, I didn't get that at all. So the horses are real. The horses are, like... It, it, it sort of implies that they were maybe trapped on there years and years and years ago, you know? Like, all the other people... Everybody, you know, like... Every element of this carnival is somebody over time that he's, you know, every midget, every worker there is somebody probably from a town. I Come love on. this. Time to go home. Yeah, the I like how the midget's just like, oh well, just another setback. And uh, another, and they they added the idea that the whole carnival gets sucked up into the sky rather than just sort of knocked over. I think they got that. I think that's a very uh, influence from Poltergeist, exactly. Yeah, it's very Poltergeist. What they year was that job. out? I think Poltergeist was like 80, 82 or eighty three. It was yeah. somewhere around. I was just, here. Yeah, I was just thinking they they were contemporaries. Yeah. It's very obviously optically printed, but it still looks cool. Yeah. Now I want to see the lid to the arc going up in the <laughs> sky. It's part right here. Don't look at it. Keep your eyes shut. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Totally needed an old woman on a bicycle in that one part, though. Beautiful matte painting. That is nice. It looks like Pennsylvania, doesn't it? Yes. I think it's Vermont. I think that's what I read today. It was somewhere in Vermont, but it looks very much like Pennsylvania. It's pretty, though. It's very yeah. scenic. No palm trees, though. I don't know. That fence looks like a little bit of the King Kong fence in the background. <laughs> it See does. It like there? All right, by now his hand should be the size of his head. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a serious injury you've got to your hand, dude. You should uh, go get that awesome. looked at. I would have sworn this narrator was Ray Bradbury, but it's not. I can't remember who it is. It sounds Hill, like Ray somebody, Bradbury. Somebody Hill. I saw it in the, I was looking at the credits. I say Richard Hill, but I'm not sure that's right. But it's something Hill. He's got the same sort of inflections as Ray Bradbury. I, I don't know why they didn't just have Ray Bradbury do it. It would have been a nice yeah. touch. Like him or Gene Shepard or somebody like that. Yeah, that mm -hmm. would have been great. Mm -hmm. Well, that went by much quicker than I thought it would. It's not a very long movie. We're an hour, hour and a half movie, you know. We've been doing a lot more modern movies, which are all like two hours, two yeah. and a half hours long. Arthur Hill, that was it. Arthur Hill, that was his name. Never heard of him. 
So I wonder, like, show up at the forum, guys, and tell us how many of you guys have actually seen this movie before, or if you're um, seeing it for the first time. I wonder if there's a lot of people who just listen to, haven't even seen, go, go watch the movie. If you just listen to this, just to listen to us talk, hopefully you'll, you you it's, you gotta I'm think gonna, it almost, almost po probably be on Netflix or something. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and I bet you there's going to be about an even split between people about our age that are going to go, Oh Jesus. Yeah. I remember that movie it was on HBO. And then there's going to be like the rest of them being be like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I never even heard of that movie, you know? So yeah. I'll, I'll be very curious, very curious. But I, I know that a, a you know a healthy portion of our audience is uh, is right around the same age as us and have a lot of the same cultural touchstones. So, yes. uh, but yeah, I I this you know if 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 it were me, I know that uh, you know I remember the movie and all, but I, there's no way I'd be able to. I I would have to revisit the movie before listening to the commentary because I my memories were so like vague and you know through that age filter you know what i mean of like man i i remember watching that movie but i can't remember the details and watching it again was just like oh yeah it all came flooding back i think my advice is would even be even before you read watch the book read or watch the book read the movie <laughs> before you watch the movie read the book right because it's just one of the mo it's one of my favorite books of all time and that that goes for you too you should read the book i should i really should i always meant to it's just, just wouldn't be hard to uh, it's through. got it's there there's always copies of it sitting at uh used bookstores and stuff like that and it's it's not a very long book it's probably just a couple hundred pages maybe it's a thin paperback but boy I'd like to get you know more familiar with uh, with more of his his works and his stuff. It's just it's a shame that you know he's he's gone. You know that takes him being gone to you know. It'll take you the rest of your life to read his books if you wanted to read all. You could re be reading his. I, I think he wrote like seven hundred books or something like. He's like Asimov, you know. Yeah. I I don't know if it was seven hundred books or if it was in, you know they were just counting his short stories and stuff, but he's. He was quite prolific. I, I think there's probably still stuff that he was working on, you know, right up until he was 91 years old and died. I think he was pretty much writing right along all the time, you know. I'll tell you what, I'm sitting as we're as we're talking, the movie's over now. I'm uh, I'm just sitting here staring at my uh, my uh, what you call it wallpaper on my computer, and it's a beautiful shot that I took myself um at epcot from uh, from world showcase at the italy pavilion shining across the lake and then you got spaceship earth way off in the distance i was just thinking you know you'll be here pretty soon you know as we record this it's a little over a month away just just a hair over a month away at this point so five, it's five weeks from five weeks from five now, weeks yeah we'll be we'll be in we'll be there we'll be in the, it'll be the next to the last day so at some point while you're here we'll uh We'll go. We'll have us a little memorial ride for uh, for Bradbury on yeah. Spaceship Earth. We'll, we'll we'll drink a we'll drink a toast to Ray while we're while we're at the park. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. I like that idea. And uh, I think everybody should come back in a week because this is a 1983 movie. But Scott and I are gonna do something really fun on on next week's show. 
We're going to go back. We're going to step back one year from this movie to 1982. We're going back in time 30 years because there was an article. I know some of you guys saw it because I think one of you guys sent it to me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was a great article on uh, on Yahoo or one of those news feeds somewhere just commenting on the fact that, you know, 1982 turns 30 years old this year. And it was a link to, like, all these great and iconic movies that are now, you know, turning 30 because they came out in 82. And I was just like, holy shit. You know, I mean, it really made me feel old. But at the same rate, it was like, yeah, I mean, a ton of, again, you know, cultural touchstone movies. So, yeah, we decided, well, what the hell? Why don't we just make a show out of kind of walking down, you know, the 1982 memory lane. So it'll mostly be uh, movie focused, but uh, we might we might bring in a couple other, you know, things to mention as well, you know, sure. 1982 related. But, uh, but yeah, it kind of it kind of hits back on an idea that we had a long time ago to kind of do like a like a two true freaks version of something like I love the 80s, which, you know, we won't be able to do in any sort of regular format or whatever. But every once in a while, just kind of, you know. Well, it's think it would be it more is... like sort of for me, it would be sort of like a, I love slash hate the 80s because <laughs> I wasn't as, I wasn't a, as someone who lived through the 80s. I wasn't as much of a fan of the 80s <laughs> as a lot of people who maybe didn't live through the 80s who look at it, look through it through rose colored glasses. Like I remember thinking the 70s were pretty cool when I was a certain age. And then people are like, hey, if you lived during the 70s, you wouldn't say that. You know, if you were older right. during the 70s, you would say that. So, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll uh, hit on some of the... <laughs> the highs but, and lows. The highs and lows. But 1982 was... Um, I went I went to the Wikipedia page after you mentioned that to just look to see what movies got released there. And I was just like, holy free holies, man. What? Yeah. It was a big year. It yeah, was a so, huge year. So that should be that should be a very interesting show. Well, you know, we we've had constant clamor for more storytellers. I don't know that it'll necessarily go under that header. I don't I don't know if you've decided what header it'll go under at all yet, if if it even will go under one. But I would I would say I would imagine that the content will end up being very similar to a storyteller's type episode. So, yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to it. A lot of reminiscences. All right, man. I think that's a scary, yeah. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you 
will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying goodnight. Goodnight, little kids, goodnight. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.